said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. So we're going to have a little bit of a potpourri show where we're going to cover a lot of little things. Um, And uh, we're just going to get right to it. Uh, A couple of things that I just wanted to share with you all. And uh, one... I have some really good audio clips that you got to hear. The best one of the day is going to be this Tucker clip referring to Trump's vision for America. And uh, it blew me away. It's so it's so on point with what we've been saying around here as well. You're going to love that. We're going to definitely play that. Um, and, you know, the thing is, is that uh, the the polls are indicating that the Biden regime is crumbling. Uh, we'll see what happens with respect to the, uh, you know, the, the the tricks, the dirty tricks and the shenanigans that are going to be put in play with regard to all these illegals coming through the border. Uh, some people, you know, say that they're slaves. Some people say that they're ballot, they're ballots, meaning that. They'll never vote, but their ballots will be mailed out and filled out by a ballot harvester and dropped off in a drop box. And um, video surveillance is going to be key for every drop box. Every drop box, video surveillance has to be key. And I mean, like an army of video surveillance, people just with a camera. On you know taking taking um, taking uh, shifts you know shifts on drop boxes everywhere. I mean until we can get back power, until we can get someone like Donald Trump, Donald Trump, into the White House, and until we can take back our our legislature. Uh, whether it's the House and the Senate, you know, take it all back. But it's only then that we're going to get the right judges 
And it's only then that we're going to have, you know, lady, lady, lady blind justice. It's only the fair justice. It's only then that we're going to stop indoctrinating our children. We're going to get rid of trans, uh, vestites, uh, dudes, you know, men, biological men competing in women's sports and ruining it for everybody. I have this clip from Rebel News today that we're going to play a little bit of the audio on that. And there were uh, two volleyball teams, three dudes, three biological males on one team, two biological males on the other. And the team with the three won. The, The problem with that is they never even rotated. Like the three dudes... They were dressed up, you know, calling themselves women. And the two dudes on the other team that called themselves women, um, they never ever, like, took a break. They just played the whole game. And so the women that were on the team rode the bench the whole time. And those dudes were getting scholarships, thousands of dollars to be, to pay to play. So naturally, they're creating even more incentives. It should be that, like, if you're a dude, you, you don't get a scholarship if you're if you're playing on the women's team. I mean, there's actual money involved. So I would like to think that maybe there's a better legal p- argument for that, right? I mean, a lot of women are being disenfranchised from sports and all the beauty and the benefits that come from winning and losing and working hard and achieving your goals and, and, and fulfilling your dreams. You know, all these things are extraordinarily important for personal growth. And they're being robbed of that because they're not allowed to compete because they can't win the starting spot. Therefore, they don't get the scholarship they don't get noticed by scouts. They don't have a path to prosperity in the sport that they love. So there's just so much there to think about. But we're living in this strange new world that only the Democrats could conjure up. You got some... You got Corey Bush, one of the squad, getting accused of fraud. We have an audio clip for her. And you have another um, libtard from California that's lying through their teeth saying that uh, Trump's border security plan is alligators and moats and electric fencing. All lies. You know, just build a doggone wall. We all know it works. We all know that wheels and walls work. Just build the wall. Stop the charade. Don't tell me that the wall doesn't work. If wire fencing is doing the job, then let it be. You know, of course, the Biden administration's suing Texas, right? We know that. But there's some fraud going on there too, like there's smoke and mirrors because right where there there's video surveillance of where the big fight is in Eagle Pass and 
And then you go up the road a little bit and there's an open gate. So it's a weird thing. Obviously, this is paid for by corporations that enjoy the slave labor. It's paid for by American haters like the Soros family, who hates America and wants to infiltrate an army. You know, like that's an insurrection. And then you have you have um, the ballots, you know. So walking ballots, human trafficking, whether it's slaves or sex or pedophilia, child trafficking. There's a lot of money in selling children for one purpose or another. Drug trafficking, of course, coyotes. You know, it, it, it's and all of these entities that are making money are paying back toward the politicians that are making all this possible. So the politicians are selling out America for personal profit. And we see this too much, this insider trading as well. The best stock traders on the planet seem to be in Congress. So there's a lot of stuff that we have to address. All right, so this this woman nails it, though. And um, by the way, Nikki Haley is also... You know, uh, she's a Democrat in disguise, right? She's a rhino. But uh, she she gets so much negative press. Nobody is into Nikki Haley. Every time she puts out a post, and every time I turn on X, I get a Nikki Haley post. So obviously, you know, the guy from LinkedIn, uh, Reed Hoffman, that's financing not only E. Jean Carroll, but financing Nikki Haley uh, is putting his money to work. So anyway, let's take a listen to uh, this. uh, Karine Jean-Pierre basically stumbling over the grievance that was or is, you know, the uh, three lost soldiers in Jordan. Obviously, our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three brave, uh, three folks who are who are military folks, who are brave, who are always fighting, who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration. Hi, Corinne, military wife here. Just so you know, the United States military does not fight on behalf of your administration doesn't fight on behalf of any administration. The United States military fights on behalf of the United States and the United States Constitution. The three U.S. soldiers who were killed in Jordan over the weekend and the 34 others who were injured were there defending the freedom and liberty of Americans. This is what happens when you hire a black lesbian simply because she's a black lesbian and not because she's any good at her job. It should be illegal to be this incompetent. Three U.S. soldiers are dead. And the most this woman has to offer is to mumble some incoherent sounds like a stroke victim. Now, maybe if we had a president who knew his head from a hole in the wall, whose fortitude on the world stage was stronger than a wet spaghetti noodle, we wouldn't have dead (laughs) soldiers and a press secretary who has all the intellectual capacity of a bean sprout. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, that that's so, so spot on. So check this out. This is another big story. So J-5 bomber, remember the J-5? The, the, turns out active Capitol Hill police officer. So according to 
Gateway Pundit, J6 Pipe Bomber is a government official. FBI had his license plate number but refused to interview him. So over three years ago, on January 5th, 2021, a suspect planted pipe bombs near the Washington, D.C., RNC, and DNC headquarters the night before the January 6th protests. The U.S. Capitol was shut down on January 6th after the feds found the bombs near the Republican and Democrat Party headquarters. As previously reported, a mysterious suspect planted two pipe bombs at the RNC, DNC, DC headquarters and safely detonated uh, by a bomb squad on January 6th. So let's see. Let's see. No, yeah, this is strange. I was just looking at some footage here. Okay, so so listen to this. This is on Matt Gates, Matt Gates' radio show. He's got Congressman Tom Massey, who has the intel he on this. Met with Capitol Police, correct? Today, today. And what did you learn in that meeting? I learned that uh, backpack guy, January sixth backpack guy, not to be confused with January fifth. Backpack person, uh, backpack pot guy was a uh, non-uniform, you know, plainclothes police officer, in, in, you know, in the employ of the Capitol Hill Police. The the person who found the pipe bomb, the person who D'Antuano, who was leading the investigation, say, oh yeah, the person who found it, it'd be investigation one hundred and one that they would be a suspect initially until ruled out. You're saying that person was an undercover, plainclothes Capitol Police officer, and the Capitol Police confirmed that to you today. They confirmed that to me today, yes. Uh, uh, which, so, by the way, it, what does it that makes, mean to you? Well, it, it heightens some of my concerns and, re- and uh, reduces some of the other concerns, okay? One of, one of the concerns that's heightened was, you know, trying to give the the Secret Service and the Metro Police Department the benefit of the doubt when they took four minutes, you know, they finished their lunch before they went and dealt with this pipe bomb. I wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt and think that, well, if it's just some random passerby and he said, hey, there's something shiny over there, could be a lawn sprinkler, you know, not sure, maybe want to check it out. But that's not what it was. It was, it was a person who was, you know, they say, again, when I relate this to you, I'm relating what the Capitol Police have told me. They say it was a Capitol Police officer who found this bomb and that um, he told them it was a bomb. He, and he radioed it in, said, we've, we've got the device. We found another device. Remember, here's the other just amazing timing is that the first pipe bomb, the one at the Capitol Hill Club, now they call it the RNC pipe bomb, but they really should be calling it the Capitol Hill pipe bomb. I mean, the, the two buildings are next to each other. But it was like the Capitol Hill Club, which is an entity where Republican members of Congress socialize and fundraise. Right. right. Um, the reason I'm making that distinction is Darren uh, Beatty, who's done amazing work on this. OK, he's the guy who's said, hey, you should be asking some of these questions. And I said, you know what? You're right. I will be asking those questions. He points out that the RNC DNC narrative was was made up after the fact. You know, it's really the Capitol Hill Club DNC narrative that they should be talking about. But it, 
if it just sounds a lot better that oh we knew to go look at the dnc once we found one at the rnc interesting well you thought wow so you know this was totally an inside job shame on liz cheney and adam kinzinger shame on those people but the gateway pundit you know basically says another solid piece from Kerry Pickett keeping the story alive. So, I mean, this is definitely like they're just peeling this onion. Our government, who's taken our money, is working against us as if we are the enemy of ourselves. They don't want a free society. So, also, uh, Mayorkas was... uh, It says the House Committee on Homeland Security just voted to advance articles of impeachment against DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas out of committee. So this is how that vote went down. On that vote, Mr. Chairman Green, it was 18 ayes and 15 noes. The ayes have it, and the motion is agreed to. Without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Without objection, staff is authorized to make any technical and conforming changes. Without objection, the measure amended during today's markup will be reported to the House in the form of one amendment in the nature of a substitute for the resolution. This concludes the consideration of the resolution noticed by the committee for today. So they, uh, they had ayes and nays, and uh, they, they voted 18 to 15 to support uh, the advancement of uh, to write up articles of impeachment against Mayorkas who, you know, basically is in on this scheme with Joe Biden to, you know, allow as many people to come through the southern border as as possible. Uh, I I believe also I've read reports that the northern border is where a lot of drugs are coming through as well. So, you know, it's just, what can you say? But listen to what Joe Biden said once upon a time. No great nation can be in a position where they can't control their borders. It matters how you control your borders. Not just for immigration, but it matters for drugs, terror, a whole range of other things. When I took office, I committed to fixing this broken immigration system. And I began by doing what I could to secure our borders. Even as we are a nation of immigrants, we're also a nation of laws. Undocumented workers broke our immigration laws. And I believe that they must be held accountable, especially those who may be dangerous. If you're a criminal, you'll be deported. If you plan to enter the U.S. illegally, your chances of getting caught and sent back just went up. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country, are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more, by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace. Not fair to Americans. So you have to hold employers responsible in this measure here. Hold them responsible that they have to hire Americans first. 
only if there's no Americans available for the job should we be promoting the idea of bringing in extra workers, in my view. I don't know why we need millions of people to be coming into this country as guest workers Bernie who Sanders. work for lower wages than American workers and drive wages down even lower than they are right now. People in the country should have the first opportunity to be able to have jobs that pay well. So, so you get the idea, right? This is 11 minutes long. I, I can keep on going, but you know we have a show to do. But these are Democrats, all Democrats, knowing right from wrong. And the only one that literally got it done and the one that they fought tooth and nail for was the one that said, walls and wheels, they work. We're going to build a wall. Give me funding for the wall. And they said, no. You're not going to get any funding for any wall. And, you know, it's sort of like, it's easy to fix. Just like ISIS was not even really a fighting force. They're a mercenary group guarding oil pipelines and, and other precious assets in Iraq when Iraq was a shell of itself because the Bush, uh, the Bushes uh, annihilated Iraq and allowed it to fall into the hands of Iran. So we ended up, uh, you know, with um, financing uh, ISIS rebels to, you know, send, you know, through corporate black market corporate deals, oil going into Europe. And then that was really creating a lot of um, friction between Russia's interests in supplying oil and natural gas to Europe and the oil coming out of Iraq guarded by ISIS rebels, funded through Benghazi. And the only way we were able to do that is we killed Gaddafi. This is a very shady country we're living in right now. But these Democrats know right from wrong. And they're doing the wrong thing. And the only people, the only person that did it right was Trump. You look at his numbers, Right? So 2023, 3.2 million. 2022, 2.8 million. 2021, 2 million. 2020, 400,000. 2019, 860,000. 2018, 404,000. 2017, 310,000. 2016, 415,000. 2015, 337,000. So... Even Obama's numbers were different, but I think the way uh, I think Obama was the one that really was ex- calling them dreamers and creating incentives for border uh, crossings, and he was taking advantage. He he changed the way you count the numbers. The way Trump was counting the numbers was legit. The way Obama was counting the numbers, if you were a family of five and you you don't have your proper visas or passports and you're turned away that's that counts trump wasn't doing that all right mayorkas said the border is secure he called their policies a model approach that has proven to work he is lying. Let's take a listen. It is my testimony that the border is secure. The president have worked very hard to implement a strategy when they it comes failed. to the border that is humane, safe, and, and has orderly enforcement. Things are going at the border, sir. Much better, than, much, much better than you all expected. 
<laughs> we have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. We have responded with a model approach that has proven to work. We have taken unprecedented action over the past year and a half to secure our border. And we have a process in place to manage migrants at the border. We're working to make sure it's safe and orderly and humane. So you see, they're, they're, saying, they're saying one thing, but they're doing another. They're, they're lying, right? The border is closed. We agree that uh, the border is secure. We're executing a comprehensive strategy to secure our borders. One of our highest priorities is to ensure that we have a secure border. And that is what we are doing. We are stopping the flow at the border. The border is secure. Yeah. Well, look at the numbers. The border is not secure. Look at the video. The border is not secure. But this has real complications and implications to minorities in this country. You take uh, this black uh, alderman from Chicago's Ninth Ward, Anthony Beal, says illegal immigrants are getting $9,000 housing vouchers, food, and free childcare, and more. So let's take a listen to this. Now, I've said this before. If you give me three meals, housing, child care, education, a voucher for $9,000, you know what? I come to Chicago too. And that's what they're doing. They're telling people and they're sending money back to Chicago, I mean back to Venezuela, to come to Chicago because they're saying, hey, the good times are rolling there. They're taking care of everybody. Now when we have, when we have Venezuelans, that are driving cars, where'd they get a driver's license? Where did they get insurance from? And then you have Venezuelans being caught with drugs and guns, where are they getting them from? Now, I've said this before. Right? Black people are starting to wake up and realize Democrats are the problem, but these are Democrats talking. So you take a look at this. Uh, I was telling you about the volleyball team. This is a report by Rebel News. Um, guy's name is... Oh, I, I don't have his name handy, but he's he's a um, one of their chief uh, correspondents. And... Um, here, take a listen. This is actually a 13-minute clip, but we're just going to play like 30 seconds to a minute of it. Menzies for Rebel News here at Centennial Oh, College David Menzies. In Toronto, and we have the latest example of transanity to the power of five, quite literally. We were tipped off that this female volleyball game that we witnessed <clears throat> earlier featured not one, not two, not three, not four but five men pretending to be females. Three were on Seneca, two were on Centennial. Gee, can you imagine which side won? Not only that, the male players were always on the court. So you had biological female substitutes just sitting on the bench for the entire game. Here's another egregious thing about allowing biological men to compete on the female varsity team. Some of these women 
are getting scholarships in which to play volleyball, i.e. they are using this sport to pay for their tuition. When a guy gets on the team in place of a female, that benefit is negated. Also, folks, we couldn't help but notice the perverse irony when we read the mission statement of Centennial. For example, in part, it reads values, integrity, passion, growth, family, equity, diversity. I'm sorry, but if you think that allowing men to get a spot on the female team is an example of integrity, equity, and diversity, you're dead wrong. All- and I agree. I couldn't agree more with that statement. You know, uh, yeah, somebody said this. Oh, oh, yeah, it's Ron DeSantis. He just asked this out. He says, DEI, discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination has no place in our public universities. So, you know, they were basically FIU, Florida International University, it's beautiful. The, diversi- divi- the division of diversity, equity, and inclusion has been eliminated. <laughs> so that's what they're, um, they're eliminating because it's starting to backfire. People are realizing it's racist. To DEI is a racist, discriminating, as well as affirmative action and quota-based systems. Uh, it's just that by a different name. All right, so this is kind of a funny little piece. Dad, what's a Democrat? Hey, Dad, what's a Democrat? You want to know what the answer is? Hey, Dad, what's a Democrat? Somebody who wants everything you got except your job. <laughs> As I mentioned, uh, Corey, Corey, uh, Corey, uh, not Cory Booker, Cory Bush, uh, got in some big trouble. All right, so um, she is, DOJ is conducting criminal probe into squad member Cory Bush in relation to misspending of federal security money. Could this be connected to the thousand she paid to her husband for private security while voting to defund the police for Americans? Throwback to the time she had a meltdown on live TV when asked about it. Let's take a listen. The thing, I won't let them get that off. You can't get that off. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life. And I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up. And defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets. The, the thing. So she's spending $200,000 for her husband to protect her. <laughs> but she wants to defund the police who are paid to protect you. And then she says, suck it up. Deal with it. We're not electing our best, are we? How does a person like that get elected? Someone who obviously hates America. 
Batchik uh, Bat, I just reading this. Bat crazy, commie psychopath. Please keep talking, E. Jean Carroll. Okay, let's take a listen to this. You've talked about using some of Trump's money that you're about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be? What that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such such great <laughs> ideas for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing in France? No? Oh, all right, all right. Okay. That's a joke. (laughs) Although if, if me fishing in France... Could yeah. do something for women's rights. I would take the hit. You know, I would obviously uh, t- take one for the team. All right, let me, let me, <laughs> as if, as if you need persuasion in that regard. Let me, let me finish with a final question. Um, so her attorney was looking really annoyed. Like, I can't believe she's doing this. Stop doing this. They still have not, they've not, they've not gotten a red cent from Trump. And I don't think they, well, I, A, I don't think they ever should. And B, I'm hoping that the appeal will prevail. $83.3 million is absolutely insane. One penny is insane for the case that she brought. And I think that she'll win it on appeal because the judge himself was connected with her legal team. They used to work together. There should there should be a new trial at the very least. So I think this will this will benefit Trump on appeal. All right, I got a couple of more things uh, to share with you. Um, there's a there's a Don Jr. Uh, clip that I, that I want to play, and uh, oh, also here. This is a problem for the Republicans. Caramo, Caramo is not going away. Breaking exclusive. Christina Caramo targeted after uncovering potential fraud related to Ronna McDaniel. Uh, so this is according to Joe Hoff. Really good stuff. All right. I got, I got two uh, audios that you have to hear. You're going to love these. All right. This first one is... Tucker Carlson. This is the one I promised you at the very open. And at first glance, at first blush, it, it it's not going to sound like he said much. But I believe he's said everything that I had been talking about for a long, long time. I've been saying, I think we had more freedom in the 80s than we do now. In a lot of respects, technology has made our lives worse and that we had a better life and we were more free when we were not connected to an internet or a cell phone or a computer and when people used to talk to each other. And, you know, I'm sure that there are things that obviously are better today than, than they were then. But for the most part, it seems like every step forward we're taking two steps back when it comes to our civil liberties. 
So let's take a listen to this. This is just a brilliant piece of dialogue by Tucker Carlson. This is an informed assessment of Trump. Trump's vision for America is like Studio 54, 1978. <laughs> like, I'm serious. Trump really loved the country he grew up in. He really loved it. And he means it. He loved the people who live there. He loved its traditions, its weird little customs, its idiosyncrasies. And that's kind of what he wants. He doesn't want a brave new future of new things. He wants to return not to antebellum America, but to like 1980 America. And it's kind of hard to argue why that's bad, actually. And so that's not a revolutionary agenda, nor is it a counter-revolutionary agenda. It's a return to normalcy. And the phrase, make America great again, means return it to a period not so long ago, when everyone was enfranchised and everyone had rights, but everyone was roughly, not everyone, but most people were sort of united in a sense of common purpose and culture. They were Americans, and they knew what that meant. We don't have that anymore, and that's Trump's vision. So you may not think that's possible. Um, you may not think maybe that's even virtuous to want that. But if you think that's a grotesque hellscape that he's describing, you're the freak, not him. Yeah, no way is that a hellscape, right? That's a reasonable expectation to have that level of freedom and independence. And, you know, right to happiness. Uh, we're going to go ahead and take uh, a caller. Call, caller, you're on the air. This is Rob from Utah. This is Rob from Utah. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Yeah, you're talking about how free we were in the 80s. <clears throat> and that, that's that's really true. I think the corruption level was a lot lower. The deficit was lower back then. Um, and and our so politics were more, uh, more alike. Like the Democrats and Republicans shared more in common than the you know, than they do today. Yeah, they wanted to do what was good for the country and the people. I, I think because this is before globalism. Is, say, yeah, there was no globalism back then. That wasn't even thought of. We had different cultures. What was thought people of? Migrated. In, they migrated into our country under the law, learned, assimilated to our way of life. If they wanted to, you know, have the American dream. But I always fall back on the big issue is I, I think the American people are uneducated on the Constitution. I mean, there's so many things we've steered away so far from the Constitution, and people are brainwashed. They don't know their own rights. I mean, like, this whole thing in, in the border. Like, you know, 11 months ago, I called Governor Abbott's office and the Sheriff's Department down there in Texas and, you know, brought up the Article 1, Section 10, and now they're saying Clause 3. They they're really onto it, I, you know, after I got on that radio show the other day. But, you know, I mean, who's more, who's, who has more power in the state of Texas than the governor? The sheriff's department. The sheriffs are elected by the people, and they are responsible to their constituents. They're not appointed. People don't understand these things of the Constitution. We're not supposed to be giving away trillions and billions and millions of dollars to foreign countries there's no numeration in it under the constitution no 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 i agree i agree 100 percent. so when people start understanding the constitution and getting back to it then they'll understand the word nullification when these laws are put on you that violate your constitutional right and of course you know people must understand the state constitution overrides the federal constitution so you really have to look at what your state is doing as well. 
This way, if you're not happy with what's going on in your state, it's up to you to get your local legislators on board with what the people want. So everyone's got to get educated on that document. That's the law of the land. Right. And until and the, that happens, yeah. we're going to be in trouble. Right. All right. Hey, thank you for calling in today. Take care, buddy. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Remember the one word, nullification. All that right. means you're not going to comply with unconstitutional laws. Take care. All right. Take care. All right. Uh, okay. So we got another clip. This one's beautiful. This is uh, Don Jr. This is a real tribute to Donald Trump. Let's take a listen. My grandfather always said the most important thing in life is to love what you're doing because that's the only way you'll ever really be good at it. My grandfather was fiercely ambitious, a workaholic. He made my father and his siblings watch him as he walked construction sites. That's how he taught them, by osmosis. My father carried that passion for learning to the Wharton School of Finance. And when he graduated, he set his sights on Manhattan. My grandfather couldn't understand why. He had been successful in Brooklyn and Queens and thought my father should follow in his footsteps. But to my father, Manhattan was the epicenter of the world. It was center stage. It was where he wanted to make his name. When my father first laid eyes on the Commodore Hotel in the heart of New York City, at 42nd Street, next to Grand Central Station. He knew the rundown property had the potential to be a crown jewel. However, the turning point came when my father decided to purchase the greatest single piece of real estate in New York City. Working from his Upper East Side apartment every day, he would pass an 11-story building at the corner of 57th Street and 5th Avenue that housed Bonwit Teller. What would soon become the iconic Trump Tower is a prime example of the old adage, timing is everything. In 1982, he unveiled a $200 million, 68-story apartment retail complex. It was the cornerstone of my father's global brand. Followed soon by the construction of Riverside South on the former New York Central Railroad Yard, Trump International Hotel and Tower, Trump Soho, Mar-a-Lago, the famed old post office. Today, my father has built and acquired properties all over the world. In Scotland, Dubai, Canada, Panama, Brazil. Everything my father does is first class. He loves real estate. He loves building the greatest projects in the world. And when you love what you do, you inherently do it better. It doesn't feel like work. His passion is contagious and it motivates people around him. One of my father's proudest accomplishments was that my grandfather lived to witness the root of his success. He lived to see our name transform the Manhattan skyline. Since then, not a day goes by that my father doesn't wish my grandfather was here to see the brand rise to global excellence dominating the world of luxury hotels, dominating the world of golf, and now the world of politics. My grandfather was a patriotic American. I know he would get a kick out of seeing his son accept the Republican nomination for President of the United States. Not many people have the opportunity to work alongside their children, but my father has been blessed to not only work with us, but to also teach us what my grandfather had taught him. And now, as he takes the greatest step in his life, all that he's worked for so hard will be in very capable hands with us. My father has struck a nerve with the American people. People who never cared about the election or never voted before are rushing to his rallies. Decades of success have taught my father that anything is possible. That even where others have failed, his vision can prosper. America has given my father everything. An incredible family, a successful company, and the ability to employ thousands of hardworking people every day. As president, my father plans to keep making deals, big deals, on behalf of this country, around the clock. 
It's time for my father to use all that life has taught him to bring our country back. Wow. That's that's pretty, pretty good, right? I got to tell you, I'm so glad I got to share that. Um, it's beautiful. Uh, Claire de Lune playing in the background, Debussy. I love that piece. Um, all right, so uh, we got this other uh, audio clip from Don Jr. that I want you to listen to. Let's take a listen. It's a little bit different. <laughs> when Trump started, my father, he's talking about his father in the third person. Like, yeah. He forgot that it's his father. I, I, just, you know, I have to disclaim this stuff only because I know what happens. Literally, I have, I have seen the soundbite so many times. It's sort of amazing, you know. When they found cocaine in the White House, like two months ago, I haven't been there in like three and a half years, right? It's Don Jr. So I'm like, really? Like, you literally have the world's most famous crackhead in residence. <laughs> That's funny. I'm just saying, folks. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. But again, they'll sell you the story. And, you know, leftist Twitter will blame me. Trying to, you know, still trying to figure that one out. But you know, then they find it on his gun case, and the DOJ magic. I mean, these guys are brilliant. They're brilliant. Four years later, they acknowledge, oh, you know, the laptop is real. Oh, no shit. I, I had, I had no idea, because of course it was real. But it was amazing. It was like, imagine that was the Don Jr. laptop. I have a feeling it'd be a little bit more relevant. I have a feeling that kids wouldn't be off limits. You know, kids, you know, 50 year old baby. <laughs> Am I wrong? Again, so it all adds up. People get it. I did 50 hours of testimony for Russia, Russia, Russia. It turns out to be 100% of a lie. Like, there's wire transfers to Hunter. He's sending it to the father. The address is the father's house. The kids and the grandchildren are getting checks from the CCP. Total co- they're, they're wonderful business people at the age of four. The great international businessmen. Because we're not morons. Like... like they think it, it, it's insane. You know, I promise you this. China does not invest a billion dollars with a crackhead. Their due diligence process is more thorough than that. They're not like us. It's like, you know what? We need more diversity. We need crackhead representation with... No, they, you know, they, we would do that because we're insane. At least the Democrats would do that. Right? We would do that. So they're probably like, that's ah, probably legit. Like, really? They give a billion to a crackhead? No, no, you only do that if you're buying them, which of course they were. There's no other fundamental reason for him to have any of that money. It's pretty good, right? He could do a stand up routine, that's for sure. No doubt about it. So we got some new poll numbers out. New Bloomberg Morning Consult poll of Trump-Biden matchup in swing states like North Carolina. Trump's up 10. Nevada, Trump's up 8. Georgia, Trump's up 8. Wisconsin, Trump's up 5. Michigan, up 5. Pennsylvania, he's up. Trump's up 3. Arizona, he's up 3. I, can't, I don't know what's going on in Arizona. But something's going on. Um, it's crazy. So I have this audio clip from 
uh, Klaus Schwab's right-hand man, leading advisor to the World Economic Forum, Yuval Noah Harari. You've heard him before. You know about him. He's a monster. Let's take a listen to what he had to say. In the book, if I understand it correctly, you argue that actually the amazing breakthrough that uh, we are experiencing right now not only will potentially make our life better, but uh, they will create, and I quote you, new classes and new class struggles, just as the Industrial Revolution did. Can you elaborate for us? Yes, in the Industrial Revolution, we saw the uh, creation of a new class of the urban proletariat. And much of the political and social history of the last 200 years involved what to do with this class and the new problems and opportunities. Now, we see the creation of a new massive class of useless people. As computers become better and better in more and more fields, there is a distinct possibility that computers will outperform us in most tasks and will make humans redundant. And then the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be, what do we need humans for? Or at least, what do we need so many humans for? Do you have an answer in the book? Um, at present, the best guess we have is uh, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. <laughs> right? I mean, listen, who says, who talks like that? Who talks like that? Wow. So this is uh, one of my favorite thinkers, Eva Vlardingerbrook from the Netherlands. In 2019, the courts ruled that the Netherlands was actively in a nitrogen crisis. And that ruling has been the basis for our government to crack down on our farmers' rights and even move towards expropriation of their land. The nitrogen crisis does not exist. It's a pretext, it's a lie. The nitrogen crisis is a manufactured crisis created by bureaucrats in The Hague and in Brussels. The attack on farming in the Netherlands is part of a bigger global agenda that is centered around control. In fact, it's the typical, I would say, the typical globalist strategy. They create a crisis. Boy, have we seen that in the past few years, you know, what that looks like. They create a crisis and then they say, well, and the answer to this crisis, the solution to this crisis is you giving up your rights. Not us, but you. And that's exactly what is happening here with the Dutch farmers. So remember how I said earlier in this speech that um, the farmers need to give up their, their farms before 2030, specifically that year? Yeah, so that's not a coincidence. That year doesn't come out of nowhere. So that year is basically the deadline that our global elites have given our country and will probably give you um, to abide by these new regulations. And that agenda is called the 2030 Agenda. And now I have a slide showing you what that entails. So the 2030 Agenda is a United Nations Agenda. So there we go. Everybody is part of the United Nations, right? The entire world. And this agenda consists of 17 what they call sustainable development goals. And when you take a look at them right there, you're like, well, what's wrong with that? You know, they all seem very noble. No poverty, no hunger. Who could be against that? 
However, if we take a closer look at how they actually want to accomplish all of this, anybody with two functioning brain cells realizes that this cannot happen unless there is an active and maybe even forceful redistribution of goods, foods, property, and our rights, which basically comes down to the obliteration of all of our basic liberties uh, and our rights. And these goals, as I said, are not restricted solely to the Netherlands. They are global. And that's where we see their true motive. The people behind this want to establish a one-world government, a new world order in which they decide what we eat, when we eat, where we travel, when we travel, who we meet, and what we are allowed to spend our money on. Basically, control over every single aspect of our lives. And I'm sure that many of you have heard the, the famous sentence from Klaus Schwab, you know, where he says, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, right? Yeah, that's this agenda. So why are the people behind this agenda specifically targeting farmers? Well, it's because obviously they really want our way of life and the things that we eat to radically change. They don't want us to eat foods that make us strong. They want us to eat synthetic meat created by Bill Gates. They want us to eat bugs. They want us to drink soy milk so that we become weak and obedient. And we do as they say, and we buy what they offer. Yeah, it's a scary world we're living in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's much, it's, it's far different than, than uh, what we had in the 80s. So to the point that Tucker Carlson made, you know, uh, the stewards of the technology are, are creating, you know, some serious problems for everybody. It, it would have been great if we would have had the technology and human decency and ethics and morals and good people too. But you don't always get it like that. You know, it turns out that, you know, Someone like a Taylor Swift, her songs sell because she packs these great messages written to, written for by some other person to sell to a market. But then she kind of like turns on you. The Dixie Chicks kind of did it too, you know, and uh, it's just the wrong leadership. Uh, not right for America. In any case, uh, you've been listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapack.org. Make a donation if you can. If you'd like to continue to see The Scott Adams Show, uh, go commercial-free. Also, use Red State over at MyPillow.com. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, buddy. Grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper Just to bury my kids right up to their neck.